BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Pod. I'm your host, Victoria Garrick, and you are in for a very special episode today. From the moment this guest accepted my invitation to come on the show, I was pretty much dying to interview her because her story, I remember, absolutely shook the college volleyball world when it, when it came out. And most people heard rumors, other people read her blog post to hear what actually happened, but I'm just really honored because... This is the first time on any sort of show that she's going to be talking about the injuries she suffered and how she recovered. And also, just to shout out you guys, this says a lot about the supportive and accepting community we've built here at Hashtag RealPod to welcome and encourage all conversations around mental illness. So to all of my listeners, thank you. And to today's guest, I owe you the biggest thank you for trusting us. With that said, I would like to welcome Haley Hodson. Now, in 2015, for those of you that don't know, Haley was the number one volleyball recruit in the country. I mean, every school wanted this girl to play for them. She played overseas with the U.S. women's national team at the age of 17, which I don't know, is that like a record for youngest player ever? But she won a junior nationals in the open division. And anyone who saw this girl play would have said she is Olympic bound. Haley ended up attending Stanford to pursue her career at the next level. And she proved that her recruitment status was not a mistake. Haley pretty much won every award possible for freshmen. She was Pac-12 Freshman of the Year, Volleyball Magazine Freshman of the Year, Pac-12 First Team, All-American, anything, you name it. It just seems like Haley's volleyball career was unstoppable. However, just before her freshman year had ended, Haley suffered from a concussion. One that would be so severe and had so many repercussions that it ended her playing career. Today, Haley is going to share with us the details of that story and explain how she was able to recover from that experience, eventually rerouting her life to a completely different path and now prioritizing advocacy and the journey within. I would love it if you would please help me welcome Haley Hodson. so happy to have you on hashtag real pod because you have a story that is super unique super powerful and i think super relatable just so many people who experience really tough times in their life and either don't know how to verbalize it or they do verbalize it but don't feel like they're getting heard or the support that they know they need yeah totally 
And we first met each other across the net. Although I told you who you were. We played T Street when I was in club. I was Red Rock. I know. I remember all these (laughs) We, we, you know, like all nervous, whatever. And then we ended up winning in two. And I remember my coach, who was watching me play, I'd already been committed, thought that we lost in two. Just because you guys were so good that when they ended in two, he was like, oh, bummer, you guys lost. I'm like, no, we won. But then you guys go on to win the whole thing. So then my team was like, okay, technically on their worst day, we have a shot. Yeah. Wait, was that, so was that, that was was the year we won? That was my last year? That was, I think you're a year below, no, we're the same year. Yeah, we're the same year. So that was senior year. So yeah, senior year. You won Jams. Yeah, yeah, and we open. did. Yeah, <laughs> you forgot. Oh no, well we were. Well, right. I was like, we're we're not gonna make it out of. We didn't think we were gonna make it out of pool. That's funny. And it was just like this whole big design. Yeah, but then we ended up winning. It great. Yeah, it's we buckled down. For you, I feel like that's probably club was sort of not an accessory, but you'd already been training with the national team, doing a lot on your own. So when did you first decide? Okay, volleyball is my sport. Um. So I grew up playing a lot of sports. Um, I was always pretty tall. Um, I hated basketball. No offense to anybody that loves basketball. I just like, I hated playing basketball. I didn't like the contact. Like I didn't, <laughs> I, just, I was like, I don't, I don't get it. So, um, and then volleyball was really frustrating. I'm sure like as a little kid, it was frustrating. Because it's so um, skillful and technical. It really and is. And you don't have the coordination. And you also have to like depend on everyone else. So like if one person is like really, really bad, especially at that age, like you're just, it's just a game of this serves basically. <laughs> or conversely, if one person just has a gnarly standing topspin. Right. The whole game is over. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, yeah. it's basically just a game of serving and serving errors. Um, But it was really frustrating. And then at about age 12, I like my my height like caught up with the game in a way that was really great because I was like oh I sort of get this like whole thing of like downward velocity it's like not just you know free balls um I was playing soccer at the time that's sort of my other sport um and it was just like pretty clear that that's not where my opportunities were gonna be but I was like I was okay it was sort of 12th man on the roster and so um at that point I was like 12 or 13 anyway Sometime in middle school, I tried out for my first USA team um, and made it. And so you went to like the high performance tryout where they had yeah, hundreds so of girls. Yeah, so like the high performance thing. I'm surprised um, someone comes out of that. I just feel like that's such a well, <laughs> So I, I had like, I had always had these like big Olympic dreams from like infancy, basically. And just anything. And you were like, I'll be I the was Olympics. like, I want to be like, I want to be the Olympics. I quit softball when you're... they took softball at the Olympics. Oh, okay. okay. Like I was eight years old and I was like, not worth my time. Um, so you're and... like, I don't care what it is. <laughs> I don't care what it is, but, but I wouldn't do that. So I, at like 12 or 13, I dragged my mom. We went to four. I think it was four. It was either three or four high performance tryouts. I'm like, you're only supposed to go to one of these. And I just kept showing up like weekend after weekend at like every single thing. And the woman at the time that was like running the tryouts, like sort of organizationally, she's still a good friend, Denise Sheldon. Um, she was like, what are you doing here? Like, you've already been to three tryouts. Like, this is really unnecessary. I was like, I just want to make the team. So even at that age, I was just like, I'm like going. So I guess by the end of it, I was just, I'd been there so much that they finally like noticed me. And this is when you're really I was like 12 or 13. Wow. Um, And so they took like 50 girls that year. I was on like the bottom team, you know, like the actual, like bottom team was just this little twig, like had no power whatsoever. Um, but that for me was sort of like putting a USA jersey on. I was like, all right, this is real. And then after that summer, so I was going into eighth grade, started getting recruiting letters because I was at this like high performance tryout and all the coaches were there. And so the second that that became like a real possibility, I was like, okay, 
like I have a chance to go get better at this and like really chase this dream. Um, and so then it became like really a focus in a way it hadn't been before. And this is before high school. Now I know you yeah. told me you were homeschooled. Were you homeschooled just for high school or middle school too? So I, no, I, I went to, I was in public high school through midway through my junior year. And then I, um, finished online because I got an invite from Karch to go train with the national team. And I see. So you just yeah. had to finish high school online. I just finished high school online. It's yeah. crazy how the volleyball world has so many crazy rumors and stories. I mean, I've always thought there should be a volley, volleyball reality TV show because I, I remember when I was first hearing about you, they were like, this girl's never been to school. She eats and sleeps volleyball. <laughs> They're like, I'm like the biggest nerd of all time. Oh, I love no, school I know, so much. I know you're so, so yeah. smart and studious. I just meant like, oh, yeah. we, they no. thought you did all your studies no. at home. No, no, no. That's I, went to, I went to school through Midway. Like I, I just left it for second semester of my junior year. I feel like volley, yeah. volley talk and like volley back, all that stuff is literally like people in Us Magazine. It's just rumors. <laughs> yeah, volleyball rumors are next level. I'm always curious to hear like what's actually out there about yeah. me. So I'm like, I feel like there are no. a lot of misconceptions and always have been. But I can't that's go. Fine. I remember looking on, because I was such a volleyball nerd. So oh, yeah. I know everyone on every roster. Like I had been stalking the teams and stats. Like I got there oh, my yeah, freshman totally. year and she was like, hi, my name is Samantha Bristio. I'm like, I know. I'm like, I also know yeah, where you were born, your you, birthday, yeah. your, I'm like, how many family, yeah, I knew everything, but I remember seeing, like, a negative comment about myself on Volley Talk, and I'm, like, was, like, okay, never again, I'm never looking again. I stopped looking, yeah, I stopped looking midway through high school when all, because I was uncommitted for a long time, and, uh, because the whole Stanford thing, it's a longer process, and I was on a team of mostly girls that committed, like, sophomore year, and so there was, like, the big sort of question marks everybody was always just talking about like where I was going to go because I was the one person on my club team that like wasn't committed right they're making these assumptions making assumptions yeah and then there are people that made up like some of the most outrageous things like I wish I could remember something right now but like some of the stuff you're just I I mean you're it's just shocking like what like where (laughs) did that come from you know like it was just this crazy thing um then like they were one person on volley talk was talking about my mom they were like yeah like Haley will never amount to much because because her like mom's pretty short I was like I'm already like six foot one like you don't I was just like (laughs) it's like outrageous okay let's talk about my family stop talking my family my mom was like I'm offended (laughs) it's it's crazy how kind of immature that community can be whereas like the cards community and then I know the national team standard has this amazing approach to communication and yeah. how to play the game. So you went, how old were you when you went to play for Karch? I was for 17. The first time? 17. Uh, and, yeah, I was 17. And for those listening who don't know, Karch Karai is the head coach of the women's national team. So what was your biggest takeaway as a 17-year-old from being a part of that culture? Karch is to date one of the most impressive people I've ever met. Um, and is just really intentional about the way he, um, he runs his team, he organizes his life, like he keeps his priorities straight, and he's very dedicated to those priorities, which is really admirable. Um, one of the big things that he's huge on is the growth mindset. Um, practice is called rehearsal, like you, you go in and you are, you are like rehearsing to perform. Um, but everything you do, it's about how, like, how quickly can you fail? So how, how quickly can you fail so you can learn faster? And that was a really amazing thing to be immersed in just culturally day in and day out, like every single little rep, the way that you, um, even just like prepare for the morning with your warmups, just for that 
growth mindset to seep into my life in such a palpable way in high school was, I mean, truly transformational. And it's, um, I like, I wrote my college essay about courage and the growth mindset. Like it was, um, the growth mindset's pretty phenomenal. And it's really powerful stuff. It's yeah. powerful that you learn that as a 17 year old, I would say girl, yeah. because I didn't learn about that until my freshman spring when I was introduced mm-hmm. to Nicole Davis, who yeah. practice mindset has worked with uh, the national team, but just this idea that the way you think you have a choice about mm-hmm. those thoughts and how you view everything in your life. And I used to think, no, it's just my initial reaction. That's how I feel. But no, your initial reaction is something you can choose to alter and kind of take it in a different direction. Totally. So that must've been huge going into Stanford. Now having this trained way to approach your studies, the scheduling, and the pressure, which a lot of student athletes don't have that guidance before they go. Yeah, I'd never, I, I think it, Karch was definitely the first person I heard like the growth mindset from. And then I read Carol Dweck's book um, pretty much immediately. She's a professor. At, so have you met her? No. She's amazing. She, I need she, to get her on yeah. the pod. Oh, yeah, no, she is really amazing. I love her. Um, but even before that, like, so Troy Tanner, he's sort of like a Zen guru. Um, and so all, all of our practices, um, I really sought out coaches along the way that made it more than just like a wins and loss game because to me I was like you either win or you lose but like there's we're putting in so much more effort than just that like final outcome like this has to be worth it like as a like journey too um and so yeah so Karch was just like a really an incredible um person that was very intentional about um using the growth mindset to help us get better at what we were doing um but I was really fortunate from early on to have really good influences that like made sports more than just like the outcome well it sounds like from such a young age so you're like 11 12 wanting to be an olympian then you're 16 17 seeking out more than just winning and a lot of young athletes don't do that and it's not they just don't know to so where do you think you got that yearn and desire to discover more from the game um, but yeah, I did a lot of thinking about this cause it would sort of, I was a weird coaches were always a little bit baffled by my mindset. Cause they're like, I don't get it. Like you're, you're, you're really good, but like, you don't seem to like win and die by like sort of your, it was, they almost wanted me to like be more ruthless. Right. right? You weren't like attached to your um, phys- physical result in a moment. Yeah. So, but I grew up doing musical theater. <laughs> I am like a theater kid at heart. Um, and so I approached volleyball like an art form. I was like, I go out I give the best performance I can. And like, you walk away, it, like doesn't help me at all to sit there and like wonder what everyone thought. And if there's, if I, I will go to the people that I trust. So like my coaches, like what can I do better? But like that performance is like said and done and um, there's nothing I can do to change that. So just how can I make it better next time? And so the way I really approach it is like, for me, there was so much joy being on a court, like stepping onto the court was like stepping onto a stage. And it wasn't about like a spotlight. It was just like, this is what I prepared to do. And like, we've come here to do this thing. And like, it's really beautiful and really fun and really rhythmic in its own weird way. And so I really did approach like volleyball, like an art form um, and took it like seriously, like maybe a ballerina would, right? I was like, this is what I do. This is who I am. Um, and so when I walked into Karch's gym and he was like, yeah, we call this rehearsal. I was like, perfect. Like, let's go. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So it, it, I don't know where it came from other than I was always playing sports and I've always had like big dreams. Um, 
but I guess I was like naturally a little bit less competitive than most people would have assumed and was much more about like pursuing excellence and like getting better at something. So some of that might have been intrinsic. I don't know where it came from, um, but certainly I have really good leadership along the way that like guided me along. And speaking yeah. of this excellence, Stanford University is a place where it's top ac- top academic, top athletic, highly renowned, one of the best schools anyone could go to, and you're someone that could have gone anywhere. What did Stanford offer you that made you feel like this will help set me up for success? I um I am I'm such a nerd. Um and I'm from Southern California. So for me there was part of me I was Was there any any USC <laughs> in there? <laughs> um I, I visited USC my freshman year. But just, um I I didn't I wanted to play I got to the point where I knew I wanted to play Pac twelve volleyball. Um and but I didn't really want to be in LA. Like at the, the end same of the day, I was sort of yeah, mm-hmm. I was sort of ready to to do something a little bit different. Um and for me, I loved the idea of being at a private school um, and just having a smaller student body um, and also a place where I could like really study and like take interesting classes and be a part of a of an institution that um, just has something a little bit different to offer than um, most of the other universities in the Pac-12. And like each one has their own unique, amazing things. Like, trust me, I know, like there, there were really tempting days and um, there were also plenty of days where I was like, I wonder if I should have done it this differently. Um, but at the end of the day, like now, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, and given all that sort of went down and, and not coming out the volleyball player I went in as, um, I'm glad I was at Stanford. One of the things I, I remember older girls telling me is where do you like ask yourself where you want to be if you you're out for six months or you're like on the bench or, you know, some, you get injured, like, where do you want to be That's great recruiting advice. when things aren't going your way on the court. Um, and for me, like school is too, is too important to me to, to have been like something I chose secondly. And like, I liked the place. I liked the um, community. And so for me, that was, that was really a dream come true, but yeah. So your first days on Stanford, you had to have felt like I'm very prepared for this. The people you're about to be on the team with, I think, you know, when I went on to my team, I'm thinking, you know, how did I get here? Like, I'm here. Whereas I think you're approaching your team like, I'm going to hang with the seniors. I'm going to be a leader. I'm, I know a lot. And how did that sort of confidence help you your first weeks as a part of that team? Um, oh, boy. Gosh. Wow. Walk down memory lane here. Um, yeah, I, it was, I was like a, you know, a puppy in water. Like I was having a great time at that point. It was, um, walking onto that team. I just spent the first bit of my summer. I was in Peru with the U S women's national team. Then we went to JOs. We won. Then I was, um, overseas with the junior national team. So I like sort of missed camps. And so I was like also a little out of the loop to be honest. And so I just showed up and I was like, all right, let's go. Were the girls pumped to have you or were, uh, were some of them like, Ooh, this girl's with the national team and like she's skipping the the preseason the open gym in the summer. Like was there any cattiness at um, all? I didn't sense it. My my recruiting class was like um came together late in the game. So that like dynamic um was fine. And then the girls that were older than me <clears throat> wow. The girls that were <laughs> older than me, um, I've been like visiting Stanford for like years at this point, and so I sort of knew them. I was I'd been playing with like Inky, um 
who of course then tore her ACL at that tournament. That's another story. Um, but I like I felt really comfortable. I was like, okay, let's go. Like, let's do this thing. So I don't know if there was like any cattiness or resentment on their end. I never felt that. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I don't know. I've, I've always tried to stay out of team drama in general because I just don't think it ends up helping anyone. Um, but I think that that was something I learned pretty early on, especially, okay, so like being 17 training with the U.S. Women's National Team, you mentioned Nicole Davis, and I love Nicole. But I vividly remember there was this day, I was one of my first weeks in the gym, and we were passing. We were passing, we were like sharing, we were splitting the court, just doing like some passing You and Nicole? Drill. Yeah, me, me and Nicole. <laughs> That's so sick. And like, <gasps> there, there, like, there was sort of a lull or something, or she was rotating out. I just remember she looked at me, and she goes... I'm biologically old enough to be your mother and just walks away. And I was like, <laughs> all right, well, okay. So like, if that's what people are thinking, then like, I'm just gonna, I guess, work really, really, really hard. Um, and so she was, she was awesome. Like she, th she thought it was funny, but she was like, yeah, okay. This is what's happening. Um, and so for me, like just being on a team with people so much older, like they weren't necessarily my peers at that point. So I was sort of used to like, just, going in and like doing the job and like being whatever I could be to the team. So I don't think I got super caught up in like the people right away. Um, but it was a really, really fun team that first year. Um, it was a really great group of seniors At that Stanford. like just welcomed me in. Yeah. And you and had so a phenomenal awesome. freshman year. If I could just list the things you've accomplished, which... <laughs> the only year I played in college volleyball. Which didn't fit. Well, you know what? It's better than all my four years. Um, all Pac-12 team, all Pac-12 freshman team, all American 2015 AVCA freshman of the year, volleyball magazine fre national freshman of the year, Pac-12 freshman of the year. I mean, you did, you did it all as a freshman. And mm. did you have those goals going into that season? But... Hearing what you've told me, I'm guessing you were like, I'm going to show up every day and be the player I know I can be. And then that would be a byproduct yeah. of the everyday successes. Yeah. Honestly, it was a devastating season. Um, we lost earlier in the tournament than Stanford has like ever lost ever. I remember um, that game versus and, LMU, yeah, right? It was, it was really bad. And um, I, I got my concussion in November of that season. And um, I was really never the same. Like I look back and I, I was like, I was really never the same. I, I was dealing with shin splints that like just kept getting worse and worse and worse. So by the time like we lost, um, I was like sort of hanging on by a thread, which was like, it was, it was really rough to like lose that way. But at the same time, like my body, I don't know how much longer like my body would have gone. Well, so when you mentioned the concussion, I want to rewind a little bit and discuss that because when I was reading your blog post, I was amazed at not only how illustrative you are as a writer, you're an extremely talented writer, but just this story I think a lot of athletes can resonate with. You said you were playing defense at the eight foot line, having mm -hmm. to defend middle blockers with no block. And I'm sure when the practice plan is announced and they say, Haley, go do this, you're thinking this is dangerous, but there's not a lot you can say to a coach or a staff that's award-winning cha trophy championship, all this amazing accolades. They're telling you to do something. You just listen. And so you put yourself in that situation. And that's when you said the ball hit you and skid off your head. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. The, the being put, I, yeah, I, to be honest, things from that entire month are quite fuzzy, but I remember this drill quite vividly. Um, and we were preparing for our match against, um, Washington and, and, Part of the problem that season um, 
was that Inky had gotten injured and we didn't have like enough subs in the middle category. Um, and so we had a former outside playing middle and she was very athletic and like doing a great job, but she was not like a trained middle blocker in the sense, um, that like she was not used to having to prioritize like both like middles versus outsides and that sort of, so, so we were sort of playing catch up in, in a lot of ways. And, um, Washington had a really great middle hitter, Leanna Seibelden, um, Sebelden, however you say that, yeah. um, she's cool. who was like, I mean, she was just bouncing balls left and right. Like she, she's really great. Um, but for some reason, I guess the strategy was like, basically we're just like, not, we're going to just commit block a certain direction on her and leave it commit to, to Courtney and, yeah, and we're going to like, just we're just like going to commit like the other direction and we're just going to let Haley and Maddie bug dig everything. That's the right thing back. in the past 12 is like, you have hitters at every pin that you're like, at some point you're like, all right, we're going to prioritize these people back row. Let's get on yeah, this But this was more like back row play front row and like take the heat. Like she's just bouncing balls left and right. And so, um, which is like fair, but this drill was like rapid fire off live hits. So you have like the inconsistency of live hits and we had three girls attacking at us that had very different like angle trajectories, um, from like Moretta Lutz, who's six foot nine, like it's no secret that like her ball comes from a totally different place than like 90% of people's. Okay. <laughs> um, and then like two other diff, like just everybody was a different height hitting at a different trajectory. So we were just like deer in headlights and I, both, both Maddie and I, like the first like four times around, it was just this rapid fire thing. We were just like, you know, protect the face, hands up sort of thing. Um, and then it was like, like, you think you're going to dig that ball with your hands in front of your face? Like you're not going to dig that ball with your hands. And so then we were just like being for, like, you're like, okay. And so you're trying to be coachable. You're trying to do the drill. Like you're trying to help your team and be like, all right, like I've got to find a way to dig this ball. Um, and so we were like glued with our hands down. It was really fast, a really short distance. Um, and I just like, it was one of the, one of the hitters that was, you know, not typically bouncing a ball in front of a 10 foot line. I just was like, it, it happened in slow motion. It was like, I can't get my hands there. Um, yeah. And so I, I, I'd had a couple concussions in high school. So I immediately. So this was your third concussion. I know you had two in the USA gym. Yeah. So this happens and then. After this moment, are you sitting out of practice? Yeah, I think, I I can't, honestly, I don't remember, like, if I tried to go through another round of the drill, um, but, I mean, within, like, a a minute or two, I would, I pulled myself off the court and was like, I can't see out of one of my eyes, like, something's wrong And still, that's really hard to do when you're, like, we're prepping to play Washington, notoriously really good in the Pac-12, to say end practice early, it's, it's super hard, and we know as teammates, like when you see someone that you know is a starter has to take a break, you're like, ah, oh, but we need you in this drill. But then when you're that starter that needs to take out, step out, you're like, you, you don't understand. I need to take this break. But then your blog post continues to say 24 hours later, you're on a plane. And then 48 hours later, you're sitting courtside with bright lights and noise watching them play. So you weren't necessarily getting the proper treatment of the concussion and let alone I don't even think if you really knew what was happening because as a freshman same deer in the headlights you're like I feel this way but is this just because I'm not tough enough athlete is this just the culture I have to adapt to we convince ourselves our feelings are not valid yes and my thing what I always say about concussions which are brain injuries is um 
asking a concussed person if they're like okay to self-report injuries, if they're okay to do X, Y, and Z, it's like asking a drunk person if they can drive. Like they always say yes. They always say yes, but like they're not okay to do that. Like they're not in a position to even give really an honest or um, accurate report of what they're feeling because you don't have like the luxury of comparison. You're just like, I am, this is in this moment, this is what I'm experiencing. But it's really hard to like articulate that because you're concussed. And so you cannot like the, the art of comparison of like, this is how I was yesterday and this is how I am now. It's a really hard line to like feel. That's a fantastic um, comparison. Yeah. And then there are all of these things with concussions that like there are delayed onset symptoms and there are all of these things happening at the neurological level that don't necessarily manifest in like measurable symptoms in the moment. And so I've learned so much in the past like three years. Um, but yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I know for sure at that time, I felt so much pressure to try as best as I could to like be healthy, to get on the court. because I knew it was a big match that we had. And also there were at that time, five girls, I think on the Washington team that I played with either in club or in USA. Um, and so for me, like I wanted to play Washington. It was my at Washington, you know, I wanted to do that. And um, I didn't get to, you know, to the outside world, my stats were probably fine. Like, it probably wasn't like this glaring thing. But I just remember feeling so like, non calibrated. And um, even that is hard to articulate, right? It's like, what do you do when, like, to maybe the general population, things look fine, but you're like, this is not me. Right. And then you want to say, I know something's wrong, but the coach is looking at you like you're still playing better than half the girls, all of the girls on our bench. So we don't care. Right. And then that's like, to me, that's like doubly devastating as I look back and like, how sad is it that we have, that we have, like, that is even how we think of like players on the bench, you know, like that it's like this person who is in pain, like we would rather just have the person play through pain then like dare tap into the people on our benches, you know? And I'm like, that's like a toxic environment. That was my so. freshman year at USC. We had, we were number one in the country with six, eight players. Cause we had, we were running a six, two. Um, and I remember that was our secret. We'd always talk about it. It's like, we do not have people from the bench that could come in and keep us at the caliber we want to be at. And I had a middle blocker that year who was in extreme pain, with um her back I think and she played through it played through it because we did not have a replacement right and it's the same thing someone is playing through pain because the coach doesn't want to put in someone else to relieve them I think that's a big issue with just all coaches I think it's a huge issue they like to have their crew and their six people and keep it that way and then you even feel like I've been on teams where when someone is brought in it's been so, you're so not used to playing with other people that it becomes a big, like, well, so-and-so's in, we all got to do more than we're supposed to do, compensate, be more aggressive, and then you all fall apart. Oh, yeah, totally. And it's been so long since I've, like, thought about sports strategy. But the more I think about it, and, like, I just, I see all of these issues just in, like, the way that we think about and treat in, in sports, like, how just in the way that we behave and the way that we we think we disrespect each other more than I think we're we've ever like really been aware of you know just in thinking it's like oh that person's like incapable of doing that and you know what maybe they don't have the best stats like whatever that is but um I just I think it's really weird that we still live in this world where we're so okay with pushing people so far their point of like comfort well into the the world of like 
irreversible pain. And I've seen so many people play through pain for so long that now that pain is permanent. And that's scary to me. For sure. Uh, this is this is different, but I'll talk about this because I'm sure someone listening has something similar. And I never would have said this while I was playing because I was so insecure about this weakness. But um, I'm libero for USC and everyone on my team knows, quote unquote, I can't dig the line. Like that was just the thing around Victoria was she's good at serve receive. She's good digging outsides, but down the line, she can't do it. And I just remember feeling that from my teammates, like feeling them turn around from a line hit and look back at me and be pissed that I didn't dig it. Or um, the times I did dig it, it was so hype and so exciting for me that I almost felt like they were like, oh my God, like you can't believe you did it. Like, or we were in scouting and we were talking about this person hits line. And then I hear an outside be like, so we're blocking one on her. Just like, cause I know they're like, we don't trust Victoria. And so that was a thing for me that I think is related to that. It's like, I knew my whole team and obviously, yeah, I could be viewing it negatively and making assumptions about their thoughts, but I was pretty aware that that was a vibe from them. Um, and it's true rather than, Hey, this game, I'm going to leave a little line. Cause I trust you. Like you've been working on this all week. Let's go. And if right. not, I'll adjust. Like that was not the dialogue because it is so easy for teammates to just quickly say, this person can't do this. I got to do this instead. Totally. And I think, I mean, obviously in sports, like there are, some players are better than others, you know, that, so I get that. But I, I just you saying that about like trusting your teammate, um, that was something that I found super different in the USA gym. And maybe some of it is that it's a, it's a high level, it's a high caliber um, of play in there. And there's a whole lot of, it's a level playing field in the sense that everybody there is like really, really good. Um, but I remember there were days where like you would hear somebody like Nicole Davis or Caleb Banworth just be like, you know what, take, take the angle, like take the angle. I trust you. And to hear that from like the defender behind you, for me, like this is my big admittance, you know, things I were, I was, I was not a good blocker. Like whenever I worked so hard at blocking and for the life of me, like it was just always like, I happened to be in the right place at the right time because it was like, I would try so hard to like wrap my hands around the ball and like do all of the, like I spent hours watching, but I just could never, <laughs> blocking was not my, I was not a gifted blocker. Like it's a good thing I was never a middle because that just was not my right. like, thing. And fortunately I took up enough space and like I was doing enough things right that like I would get blocks. But I mean, half my blocking stats are because the middle blocker blocked it. You know, like it wasn't me like, you know, blocking the ball. And so to, to hear those defenders in a USA gym being like, like, I trust you and like, trust me to be back here and have your back. Because I think sometimes, um, especially like the blocker defender thing, it's like when something doesn't go right for you, you immediately want to be like, oh, like even just to diffuse it, diffuse the blame from yourself to be like, oh, the block was in the wrong place or like vice versa. Cause I also played defense and there were days where I'm like, well, they just left a hole open in the middle of the court. Like, how was I supposed to get that? Right. And so it's really easy to like make excuses for, for yourself. But I think like, I don't know, I would love to see sports culture change where people are able to be one more like trusting of each other, but also more honest that it's like, oh man, like I didn't get that, you know, mm -hmm. but like, that's like, no, you didn't like, for volleyball at least you know 25 points like that means somebody did something wrong somewhere yeah you know sure. so I and don't know I think it's easier to get better at blocking or get better at digging the line when you feel like your teammates have your back totally. when you miss it yeah. and that's definitely a big thing especially with team cultures I'm sure a lot of 
people who play team sports can relate to this because that's just the means of playing with others. Like you said, you rely on other people. You can't, there's few, no, there's a few sports where maybe like one person could take over the game. Maybe in like, but it's It's really hard, especially when you're playing the top teams in the country, you need it at least six. It's even hard when you know you're one, this one person's off. It's hard. Um, so yeah, I'm really happy that we covered that because I've never really thought about that either, but but then it just all sort of came out. So, so back to your injury, this is your third concussion and you don't really heal it correctly. And then now you've played Washington state and then UCLA is up next. And you wrote about, um, I totally (laughs) stopped your whole history. (laughs) I'm helping you here. Don't worry. So it's UCLA and you said, and this literally made my arms get goosebumps. You said, then the following week, a ball during the UCLA game ricocheted off my head. I looked over at the sideline where my coach and trainer stood and realized that they were not going to sub me out. So I shook it off and got ready to serve receive. I listened to what my coaches, trainers, and doctors told me what was right, and I pressed on. I was the kill leader. I couldn't let my team down. What are your initial feelings when I read that back to you and you think about the fact that that was you? I mean similar thing um I I really look back and it's it's for me it's it's tricky territory because my coaches would have said we didn't like we didn't have subs you know like we weren't gonna we weren't gonna play at the same level if we put in the subs I I hate saying that because there were six girls on the bench seven girls however many girls were on the bench that were working hard in practice every day like trying to earn those spots and so to me that's like really devastating thing that like we just all bought into this um system of being like our best girls are out there and like we can't do anything there was another girl on the court um at the time who was like I mean was playing through so much pain like she couldn't even hit the ball she was just tipping so I was like we literally like she's playing because she's she's an all-around great player but like she she literally cannot hit like she's tipping the ball so I was playing opposite at the time, which like allowed us to have like a spread offense in the sense that like we had an outside hitter, oh, totally a middle that. and a right and side. And you used to hit the, I don't know what you guys called it, the red from the back row. I remember oh, yeah. like oh, scouting yeah. I that. Lo- and be, like, like Hotson's coming out of the back row. <laughs> and like, I got, and I loved playing opposite because I got to play all six rotations. That was all I ever cared about was like, as long as I get to pass and like play, like, and I loved hitting on the right side. I've got this super weird, like double jointed shoulder. So like, I don't know. It works for me. Um, but my point was is that we already had like devised this whole system to uh, cater to certain players. Basically, well, yeah, to, to, and also to like hide the fact that we had some like injury liabilities on the court. Um, and so I just looked over and like I saw this look in my coach's eyes, like this this hope, like you're okay, right? You know, and I in that moment I was just like, okay, I guess I keep going um, because it didn't. I didn't feel like I had a choice. Right. Um, and looking back, like I probably had more, more, I mean, I, I actually don't know if I had more power than I did because ultimately they have to call this up. I can go stand at the line, but they, they don't have to agree to that. Like the coaches have to do that. I think the thing student athletes need is someone of power to advocate for them. A hundred. And that is supposed to be the trainer. The trainer is supposed to do that, but everyone gets wrapped up into this we're undefeated. We haven't lost a game in conference. We could win the Pac-12. That everyone starts to buy in. It's almost like they need to hire someone that it has to be my, like I'm completely detached from the team. My I idea just care about is that you have to have a third-party medical advocate 
on the like on the bench at all times that is not paid for by no. the school, by the conference, by the NCAA. Not affiliated it's gotta with the be, school. It's got to be some completely independent entity because the truth is the trainers are overworked and underpaid. Regardless, they're paid by the athletic department. And it doesn't take, you know, it's not rocket science to figure out there's like a clear packing order of pressures that it's like everybody's bought into this just like win, 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 win at all costs. I remember seeing my coach walk over to our trainer and be like, why is she not playing today? Mm -hmm. And the trainer just, even the trainer is fearful to be like. Oh yeah, they look terrified. 90% (laughs) of the time. And I genuinely like feel bad for athletic trainers at this point. So I'm like, oh my gosh, like. I don't even know, like, how some of these coaches are scary, mm-hmm. like, really, you for know, sure, if you sure. went, like, yeah, anyway, so it's, it's a crazy thing, but. Um, I, I totally, th- I think that's yeah. a great idea, but you, so as a result, you don't have that, you don't get taken out of the game, you keep playing, and then here we are back to that LMU game, you guys lose this heartbreaker, you said you were barely hanging on, you have shin splints, shin splints that have been untreated, and the season ends, so going into your sophomore year, did you have any prediction that it would have come to a mental health leave, a concussion leave, that you would not be participating in it? Um, so from December, like, so once that season ended, um, I went home for Christmas and was like, okay, I'm taking three weeks off. Like, this will be great for my body. This will be great for everything, blah, blah, blah. Three weeks um, is going to do it. I remember I was, having, every Christmas break, I was like, this will be great. Yeah, go figure. Three weeks later, um, I, like, try to start running again. And I was in, like, ten times as much pain. I was like, holy crap. Like, this this doesn't make sense. Because I was, I knew my body pretty well. And, like, I'd had shin splints before. And, like, granted, these ones have, like, been probably worse and I played through them longer but I was like something's this is weird like just that the typical sort of what I would do to fix a problem like rest and whatnot like would make things worse that doesn't make sense um and so that was just the beginning of a long saga um but really throughout the spring it was then this there was this huge pressure for me to be healthy enough to play beach Um, and they, they still like, if, if indoor players did not play beach at this point, they would not have had enough people to field a team. Um, and like would have had to forfeit the whole thing. Um, and I, I, I was, I was good at beach. I, um, and so they really wanted me to play because I was one of the, one of the few, um, indoor players that like had experience playing beach. Um, and so they wanted me to be able to play. And I just like, I couldn't, I wasn't allowed to run. I wasn't allowed to jump. I was like barely allowed to lift. Like I wasn't allowed to get reps either in the sand or on the court. Like I was basically like shut down and then competitions started coming around and it was like, okay, how soon can you like be on the court? So I started so you're going into beach games with no practice, essentially. I was basically going into beach games with no practice. And then I was really frustrated that I wasn't able to spend time in the gym getting better at things because I was like I there are things I need to work on you love the process I love the process and so for me to be playing without any preparation is just it's like traumatizing like I'm like I am not like I'm not ready like I, can I can't like, like what are you asking the analogy me to do you don't have the script you have memorized the lines yes it's just like being thrown out and I was like this is not how I this is not how I work like I'm an I I over prepare like maybe that's like Maybe I overprepare too much, but like, this is just nothing. And so that was, um, so I couldn't even trust my body. You know, I was like, I don't even like, I'm my You're shins disoriented. Were, like, yeah. Everything I was had so much tape on my body. Um, and around the same, like, or 
you know, January, February, I started getting all these like really bad headaches. I now know that they were migraines, but I'd never had a migraine before. So I didn't know what was going on and I couldn't sleep. And then I was like sleepy all the time. And then I could never get enough energy. I got myself tested for mono like two or three times because I was like, I am, I think I have some like horrible disease because there's something <laughs> wrong with me. And this went on for like months and months and months and months and months of just like having this whole laundry list of symptoms that I could not figure the out. The three what that was going stuck on. out to me as you wrote, you were not sleeping, overeating, and deprived of energy. Yes, completely. Um, and then I was also like in pain and then had all of these migraines. I got like vertigo a couple of times. And then I was like, that to me, I should have realized because I was like, I've never, the only other time I've gotten vertigo in my life was when I was concussed in high school. It was like a one-time thing. And I, I remember calling my athletic trainer and being like, I am literally sitting in the middle of the student union because I just like stood up and like, it, like I have vertigo. And it's like, this has only happened to me once before in my life. Like, this is really weird. Um, and so I just kept reporting all of these symptoms, but nothing made sense. And they were just sort of like, oh, you're tired. Did you like, feel like they were like, oh, classic Haley again, calling with a problem. Did you feel like they were starting to get annoyed with you? A hundred percent. Because I was putting in, I was, I, it was the point where what was required of me in the athletic like training room and like with PT and um, all of these doctor's appointments was to the point where I was having to schedule them during class in order to skip class so that I could make sure that like I met everybody's requirements of all of the stuff. I was in, I have like this PDF of just, it's the list of appointments. It's not like what happened at each of them. It's just literally the list. And it is hundreds of appointments in the course of like four, five months. Did you feel guilty having to have the trainer schedule these and having to miss a practice and having to be in the training room, taking all the attention. I, I think a lot of athletes, that's what I've heard them say is they become that person on the team that although their feelings are valid and they really need this attention, start thinking, am I annoying people? Am I being needy? I mean, I think mostly I was just confused. I was like, I do not understand why nothing is getting better. And I don't understand why these things are like wrong with me. And so I was getting really frustrated because uh, I was in the training room. I was putting in so many hours of like, extra work that was not volleyball work um, and not getting any better. I was like, my pain is still exactly the same. Like I'm not the feeling pain any in your better. Shin as yeah. well as the mental injury. Yeah. And, and at this point, like I had not nobody like, so I just kept reporting how I was feeling. And then I was like, well, they're probably starting to think I'm just this complaining girl, but I'm not going to like stop telling them that there is something wrong because I don't know what it is. And like, I'm trying to figure it out just as much as they are. And so it was this very weird thing where I, I felt a lot of, at a certain point, it was like, it was like they wanted me to say like, yeah, I'm fine. And I wasn't. And so I, I, I sort of would like reluctantly be like, okay, fine. Like I can give you this, like, yes, I'll, I'll, I can't jump in this practice, but like, I'll be there. Um, and so it was this really weird tension between me wanting to play, but also knowing that like playing, like that I was sort of incapable of that and, and having to manage the expectations of coaches versus the expectations of like physical therapists versus my own expectations. And it was just like every day, I just felt like I was getting further and further away from the athlete I wanted to be. And that was really devastating. That was definitely really devastating. So I was like, this is going to take a long time to work my way back up to like that precision again. Um, and really felt like that was lost on my coaches um, because they just wanted me to play. You told me over the phone, and it was super powerful, and I have not forgotten this phrase. You said, I was battling an invisible injury. Mm -hmm. 
could you explain a little bit to me what that felt like for you to experience something so painful that's affecting you every day of your life, but no one else can see it. And you're also feeling like they might not believe you. Right. Well, the other thing was, is I didn't have the vocabulary. I didn't know what's going on. And so when 18 months later, I finally figured out what was going on and everything clinically like fell into place and made sense for the first time. Like I was like, oh my gosh, this story adds up. Um, that was really an amazing moment. Cause I was like, okay, now at least I have the clarity to believe myself and like know that because I felt crazy. I really felt crazy. Um, I was like, I, there, am I like losing it? Um, because it seems like nobody believes me and nobody can figure out why these things are happening to me. And one of the, Karch gave me really good advice when I um, went home on my medical leave bout since I met with him, because um, he was didn't have a lot of people in the gym and just, you know, was really, really generous with his time. He was like, you need to find out why you're depressed. Um, you're, you're, you, you have to get to the root of this. And that was really good advice. And so I was in all these appointments for months and months and months. Is this after the medical Yeah. The, the leave you took? Mm-hmm. So... We'll jump back right to this, but when you went to ask for the medical leave, was that extremely was, hard to get? It was a complicated, so it was a series of appointments of like finally getting into a psychiatrist um, up at Stanford and then trying to figure out like, how do we get through this? And I just kept being like, something has to be taken off my plate. Like I'm drowning. Um, I, I basically like hit rock bottom at that point, was just floundering. And so we were trying to figure out how I could take something off my plate, um, which wasn't really possible. It was like, you can't take school off my plate because then like volleyball also goes, you can't take volleyball off my plate uh, because I asked for a medical redshirt. They said no. Um, they, yeah. And then I was like, well, I need you guys to tell me that you will not put me back on the court until my body is ready. And they're like, you're going to have to trust us that will, that like when we, like we'll put you back in when we think you're ready. And you're thinking the same way I trusted you. When and I, I was, was like, when you think time. I'm ready at this point, I was so not okay that I, I needed something to cling to. I was like, I need one assurance. Just, just, I need something in my life that is sure. And everything was just like falling apart around me. And I was just in the worst mental state I've ever been you in. You said your mom found you crying on your floor and that she was by your side for the next few weeks. Yeah. My mom, like my mom was like, if you're not going to be playing, like, do I need to be there? I was like, yes. Like I, I need you there. It's a culture shock. You've played volleyball every single day of your life. I couldn't. Since you were 12. And I couldn't, I couldn't even like getting out of bed was the hardest thing every single day. Like it was just the amount of energy I had to expend just to like, just to show up, let alone like engage with human beings was like a whole it was I've never experienced anything else like that and so for me like just even getting a a depression diagnosis was really helpful because I was like okay there's this there's this thing that I can now learn more about and like start to understand and start to sort of fight against um but then there's a whole stigma and people unless you've been there like it's really hard to actually understand what that feels like and I totally get that and deeply empathize with like people that want so badly to help but don't know how because it's it's really hard to help somebody that it's like this is at a certain level really chemical you know and there are all of these things that we can do to support each other and make um and have like better habits and there are all of these you know lifestyle ways to help with mental health but then there's also like a real medical component a real biological component that um needs is treatment like and needs attention. treatment and attention and time and like 
doesn't make sense. It doesn't. That's the whole point. Like depression doesn't make sense. Like it is your brain like trying to kill you basically. And so that like just battling all of these invisible things that I couldn't put my finger on was really, really hard. And then to not be able to put your finger on it and then also for nobody else to have a clue and not be able to like see really what that felt like um, was just, it was really lonely. It was really dark um, and it was really scary and frustrating. And so I didn't know how to communicate the way that I usually would have even because I didn't even know how to ask for help. I just kept telling people that I felt a certain way. And then you sound like you're complaining or exaggerating or making things up. And then you start to believe that because the only thing you're hearing is that like, no, like you seem fine. Like these are your, you know, these are your numbers or like X, Y, and Z. It's like, this seems okay to me. It's like, okay, but it doesn't feel okay to me. And how, what do you do with that? And sometimes the feelings of depression and anxiety are things like you said, you cannot put into words. You don't have the vocabulary. So you're talking to someone and you can't even explain it, but you know how it feels and they can't see it. So they don't always believe you. And that's like, I have so much more compassion now for people that like, just don't understand. Like I, that doesn't offend me anymore. Well, I don't think it ever offended me, but now that I'm on the side of having been through a lot of mental health, I look back, I'm like, oh my gosh, there were so many people in my life that like, I was not like, I was not there for them in a way that they needed me to be. And I didn't know and I was doing like the best I can, but like mental health makes us uncomfortable, especially on something like a team where it's like, it's close knit. Like it's like, we're all going through the same rhythms every day. Like why is this person making it such a big deal out of it? Exactly. Yeah. I was going to bring that up because I can super relate to this. You use the word estranged. You said I was estranged from my team. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that? And if it helps at all, I took a mental health leave for my team after my junior year, I took two months off. The program was in chaos. We were losing our coach. We were getting a new coach. We were not organized. I saw it as an opportunity to put myself first. I was so unwell, so unhappy, but I'm not going around telling my teammates the thoughts I'm having because I'm, that's another thing is I'm not trying to. You don't want to burden them. Right. I don't want to burden them. And I also don't want to project how sad I am so that they believe me. I know how sad I am. I don't need you to, to know the details or believe me, but I took that leave and. I did not feel supported. I did not feel, I felt like I was getting that. We all feel that way, Victoria. We all feel depressed. We all feel anxious. Why do you get to take a break? We want a break too. And I don't blame them for feeling that way. You know, I could see myself in another scenario feeling that way as well, but it did suck to kind of feel like you, you were, your back was turned on you. I I could understand, but it hurt. Yeah. And I think, I think for me, I wish I wish that my coaches had stepped up um, and and had my back the way that they told me to my face they would, but they didn't. And so I don't I don't blame you. Like when you're, you addressed the team, yeah. And so and like things happened really because I I spent such a long time not knowing. I just knew I was really like I, the word I use is dysfunctional. Like I was not functional. Like I was not functioning as a human. And when I sort of when I finally figured out that I was depressed. I was like, depression never even crossed my mind because I'd never been depressed before. And I thought of depression as sadness. And where I was was so far beyond sadness that like calling me sad sounded like just way too, yeah, I was like, that is not, that is really not what we're dealing with here. Um, And so I was like, I'm not sad. I'm like not functional. I don't know how to describe that any differently. And so that was also a challenge was really like, and it was all very abrupt and, 
yeah. So, um, but yeah, so when I left, like I can, I, I can imagine when the confusion and all of the other emotions that must come with, uh, somebody that was your co-captain, um, and one of your, you know, leaders on the team, just being like, I have to go take care of myself. I don't even really fully know what's going on, but I have to do this. And there was a lot of just like silence on the other side of that. And sometimes like silence can be very loud, right? It's like, it's a time where I, I wanted a, a lot more support than I got. Um, but I don't really blame the te- my teammates at, at all. Um, because I can't, I can't even imagine like what that dynamic was. I wasn't there, you know, like, I don't, I don't know how that all went down, but it was lonely. It was definitely lonely. And it was like, I hardly understood what I was going through. And I didn't even have like the energy to really make that transition probably as, uh, I probably didn't communicate as well as I should have or would have liked to, because I was just so not like me. I just wasn't me. Um, and that's a really hard thing to like, look back at and, sort of try to make sense of because you're like this isn't I've had to I've gotten good at self-forgiveness because I'm like there are a whole lot of things that are like no longer in my control and I can either sit here and ruminate about them and cause like all sorts of crazy anxiety and like self-worth issues or I can just like try to understand that like we all experience the same event very differently and I'm sure feelings were hurt on more than one side right um and like I'm sincerely sorry if I hurt people's feelings but that was never an intention right right and they feel like you've hurt them because you're essentially saying I'm the best player I'm one of I'm if not the best the second best and I'm not gonna play with you guys and to some people that's there's our championship there's our crown and it's super hard to know that you have to significantly affect someone else's life when you make a decision for yourself right Ironically, they won the national championship I was, that season. I was just going to say, um, <laughs> I was, I'm happy about this because that was my next question. <laughs> yeah, ironically, that happened. Um, Were you shocked? I, honestly, it was such a heartbreaking entire, like, months, and this is stuff I still got to go deal with in therapy, but um, it was really hard because I, um, I was not allowed to attend, even though I was still on the roster. Um, like, my parents were the parents that like they bought tickets every year to the final four in case that we were like going to be there um and so my dad had had tickets for like a year and then like you know your plan is just like sell them because these things sell out and we were like well like she could come she could just sit in the stands like we're not asking about being in a locker room or anything like that and I was just told that um I wasn't allowed to be it would be really awkward and like the sentiment that I got very much was like you were not welcome here Um, and so whether or not that was what was intended, that was very much how it felt. And that was one of those experiences where like, I'm sure lots was lost in communication. I'm sure there are many sides to this story, but it was really devastating. Like I felt very, very, very unwelcome and very much not a part of a team that my last words to them were sort of like, I I want to be involved. Like I want to be here for you guys. Um, like I'm not leaving this team but like I'm not okay and I have to go like fix this and figure out what's going on and so that was just a really hard thing to like manage what my expectations had been just of people um with the realities of them and so I that it's complicated did you watch that championship game no I sat in therapy (laughs) I I sat there with a therapist because it was so painful I mean to and just to explain like 
and not to make you feel any worse, but just to our listeners, like winning the national championship is the greatest accomplishment like you could accomplish as a college athlete. And so to be in the hump for that your freshman year, have all these awards and then lose in that heartbreaker. And then the next year, like, I mean, I was close. I was one point away from a final four the year we were number one in the tournament. We lost. I don't think I slept for three days because I was just devastated that I was so close. So to know that this team has done it without you is... I was I was really happy for them. I was just really sad to be like excluded on a personal level you know I was like this wasn't about me like playing in the game I just like I felt so not a part of their journey right that it was really hard to be like I'm like I'm I'm a little unclear where I stand here so I was like, like technically I'm, I'm on the roster but like it seems like they don't want me there that they don't it feels like they, they're blaming me. I felt guilty. Like, I... Interesting. Because you're so, thinking, I'd be happy to be there in a hat on the sidelines. Right. But then it suddenly felt I was like, oh my gosh, they don't want me there. Like, this isn't really even my team anymore. It felt like I was like, I don't, I don't know where... Like, it just... It was a whole lot of feelings. And so that was just really hard for me. Because it was really hard to, um, like, just be excited for a group of girls that, like, I was super excited for when I felt so personally like excluded um, and it, it sort of came to that. So it was more for me, that was it. It was just like, it was just really hard to, it was a hard day. Um, but I'm so thrilled that they won. Like that's, they earned that. They deserved that. Like I'm, I'm so, so excited for that, but it was really odd to have been cut out um, in the way that I was. And so that was, that was really tough because it was made very clear to me that I was not a part of that championship in any way it's wild how much your relationship with a team or a coach or just kind of a program can change, you know, from feeling like I'm a co-captain, I'm a leader, this is my team to, they don't want to communicate with me. Like I'm not, I don't have any part of this. Right. And then that's extremely hard to deal with. Then on top of that, when did the doctors tell you that this was career ending? I mean, it was months and months and months of doctors and we were all just trying to figure out like what the heck was going, like what no had No one had wrong. said like you must have a very severe brain injury from all these concussions. No, but it was like my, it was this complicated thing where one, I got it like depressed, like so brain injury and depression like really go hand in hand. But when you get the depression diagnosis, then that sort of becomes the focus. So then it was like, we were really focused on like mental health oh. and mental health and blah, blah, blah. But then- there were these other things that didn't make sense, these other components. And so it was like a weird like ref- series of referrals that sort of somebody was like, have you ever heard of post-concussion syndrome? And I was like, no. And so for them, from there, things started to fall into place. And I got like all of these di- testings done. And then I was like, this makes sense for the first time. This is a good circle back to when you said, Karch said, where does your de- depression stem from? Right. What was, where did you explore? once he had asked that. Oh my gosh. We were, um, I mean, I, going back, like it was pretty clear that everything changed at the, like near or around the end of that, my first season. I was like, that was, that's clearly this like marking point. Um, but it was this thing where I was like, I'd been trained in the growth mindset. So people were like, well, you're just like sad. You can't play. And I was like, I don't like, you clearly don't know me if that's like what you're talking about. It's like, I'm, I've never, that's not like who I am. Like, I'm not just here to like do this and like be, you know, whoever you guys think I am. Um, 
But I was like, I, I want to be able to get better at something. So yes, this is very frustrating to me that I'm not getting better, but I'm able to like explain all of that to you. That is not like seeping into my like self-identity. Like this is not, that is not like this, that is not the root of these issues. Like it might be an exacerbating, you know, component certainly of like being frustrated and in pain, but like that doesn't explain this for me. Like I've been injured before. Like I get that you can, you know, have to sit out for a long time and like work back. I was like, that, that is a part of the game. Like I'm, that's totally fine. And so I, we were going round in circles. I was like, nothing, this doesn't make sense. Like, I don't understand why these things are happening and why I'm not getting better. Mostly that was the big one is I could not figure out why all of my symptoms from like having zero energy to like all of my insomnia to migraines to um, like all of my mental health issues, let alone to like my shins and just all of these other sort of aches and pains I had. I just couldn't understand why nothing was healing. And so the more I start, started was to learn part about of you, grains. Was part of you also thinking, why me? Like, why these keep, things keep happening to me? Why can't one someone else get the one injury? Or why can't someone else get hit in the head? Why am I hit in the head a third time? Well, I wasn't even thinking about, like, the times I'd been hit in the head. Because I just had been raised in this culture. I've been like, okay, people get concussions. Like, it's no big deal. And then I started, once I got this diagnosis of post-concussion syndrome, I was like, oh my gosh, like, this is my brain. And then really quickly, I was like, oh my gosh, like there's all of this stuff out there that I've like heard, but it never like really sunk in. And it was like, but just every time you get hit in the head, it like neurologically accumulates. So like concussions are cumulative. You sort of hear about like, oh, like it was like one too many for that person. And like, that was it. And there's no magic number. Um, and like, certainly I'm fairly certain my brain is just like weirdly susceptible to concussions. Like, I don't know. It's like you tap me and I'm like out. Um, <laughs> but it's like, that's not, that's not my fault. Like, it's just, that's how my brain is and every brain's different. And, um, sort of that sort of thing. So once I started thinking about that and that I had spent over 18 months, like deliberately trying to like heal and do things to like make myself better and it gotten just hardly anywhere, the thought of risking like starting all the way back at ground zero was like just not an option. I was like, it's going to take me the rest of college just to get like, okay, let alone like great. And so I was like, this is starting to look like college volleyball is like going to be off the table. And when college volleyball is off the table, that there's probably professional volleyball. There's probably Olympics. Were you kind of, when you processed all of that, do you feel like you mourned it properly? Were you a wreck? Like I could just imagine that pain of like everything I've been working for is gone. And a lot of athletes tie their meaning. Like you've had this goal since you were 12 yeah. and now it's gone and it's, you cannot control it. Yeah. I, I think that there was something that I felt so much slipping away and I knew, I knew where I needed to be to like be that level and the gap between where I was at and that like bar that I had been at and had set for myself, um, that gap like got bigger on a daily basis. And so over the course of two years, while I didn't really know what was going on or where this trajectory was leading, um, I knew that my timeline was slipping away because I was like I just I know how much time it will take to get back there and like did that where... cause you any anxieties probably um it wasn't something like I think it was something that I when I the way I've described it before is like it sort of felt like I was slipping down a rope and then when I got my diagnosis I like let go of the rope and the ground was right there 
And so it was sort of this like moment where I was like, okay, okay. You, you walk away and you start again. And so I think by that point I had like intrinsically lost so much and like had been so removed from like the rhythms of just being an elite athlete that my, I was a little bit more at peace when like that ultimatum came. It wasn't like a very sudden ultimatum. It's not like you come off the court one day and And you're like, oh my gosh, my like knee is like over there. And like, I now have no leg. It was months and months and months of you realizing this might change and you're starting to find maybe joy in conversations. And you, you said here on your Instagram, which I loved, you can be grateful and experience joy and still have bad days and be in pain. Big time. And so when I got there, like, I, I'm still mourning that loss. Like, let's be real. Like, I'm still processing and still mourning and probably will be for a long time. But there was also, like, for me, having sort of that, like, okay, now you have to start something new actually, like, gave me hope. Because it was like, okay, now we know what we, we're, we're dealing with. At least there's going to be a whole lot more to come. But, like, I can, I, I, this is now more of a known than an unknown. And um, for me, like, unknowns are the most like scary there's just like I don't know what's happening I don't know where I'm going like all of that and so I'm now much more at peace with unknowns like that was a silver lining for sure but having something to be like okay well this is like the new reality um gave me footing that I hadn't had for like two years and so in a weird way that was a blessing do you feel like you had to kind of put volleyball and those memories and that history like away in a box Mm -hmm. and just kind of move forward or have you been able to like keep it a part of your life? I did notice there's no volleyball on your Instagram. And I was wondering if that was an intentional sort of creating a new Haley. Oh yeah. I totally, uh, my first way to process and to heal was I had to create distance. Um, and I, I was like, I, I have to start over. Like I have to find something new. Like I am not the person I was. I'm not the person that people like, you know, knew me as. And, um, I had a lot of triggers. I have pretty bad PTSD. Um, and triggered by volleyball experiences. Yeah. Mostly, mostly a lot of it is. Yeah. And, um, there were a lot of places on the Stanford campus that like were coded for me just as like total triggers. Um, and so there was a lot to work through. So my, my first thing was like, I just got to like get some space from all of this and then deal with whatever's there. And then we can come back and deal with like all the triggers and all of that stuff. But I was like, this is going to be layers of, of processing. But my first thing is like, I was like, I need to be in an environment that isn't going to like inundate me with like everything I've lost, all the hurts and pains, like 24 seven, you know, like that's not going to, I'm not going to get very far like that. It's like, I can do therapy, but like, that's going to be a very long, hard process. That's your own thing that that you gear up for, you go there and you do it yourself. Because I was like, I think that like, there's some progress I can make, like sort of away from all of this that will give me tools to even be able to deal with all of those like very specific triggers and the history and all that. So I went abroad. (laughs) I studied abroad. Um, I'd been, I mean, I've been gone for a long time and then I went back for one quarter and I was like, yeah, that was rough. Went home every single weekend. (laughs) Those 10 weeks, I was like, okay. Um, so I, I went and st- I studied abroad for two quarters. So I was away from Stanford and those were just like really transformational for me because I was still healing in a lot of ways, but it gave me this new place. I could walk around Oxford, England and nobody knew who I was. Nobody cared who I was. They literally don't care about NCAA sports. Like they don't even really know what they are. So it was this really exciting thing to like almost just be completely anonymous yes yeah, so look around and be like oh yeah. my gosh I remember when I went abroad uh I remember looking around like 
are you people sitting at this park every day when I am like on a different time zone somewhere else stressing about school? Like, yeah, it's just crazy sure. to think there's these, there's millions and millions of people that do not care about you, don't care about your sport, don't, don't know what your hometown is, and it's refreshing. Oh, yeah. Especially because you grew up your whole life as a celebrity. Like, I mean, small town, like, celebrity to 12-year-old girls, but, um, yeah, but, like, I, <laughs> I would run it, I mean, like, people would stop me at a grocery store, like, often enough that it was, like, oh my gosh, people still think I'm, like, Haley Hodson, the volleyball player, or whatever, um, and I remember, I remember realizing I, at one point, like, having this, like, deep breath, and I was, like, oh my gosh, like, I had this lightful moment, I was, like, I'm not that important, and it was a super freeing thing where I had always... Like when you're working for a team, like it's like every person like has to pull their weight. Like, you know, you, you have this, like other people are depending on you. And I realize that people aren't depending on you, um, at, like nearly as much. They're not thinking about you like half as much as you're thinking about what they're thinking about you. Right. And so I like had this moment. I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm literally not that important. These people are not thinking about me. They do not care what's going on with me. And like, while in some worlds it's like, oh my gosh, I wish they cared about me. I'm like, they literally don't care. Like, which they is, shouldn't. Like, they should is, be living their own lives. Like, I'm just some girl. Like, they should move on, you know? And so that was really freeing. The I'm complete like, oh. opposite from your coach saying, everything's riding on you. You have to make sure. sure everyone's here. You have to keep this in line. The players thinking, Haley's got to show up for us. Like, where everything rides on you to now, you could be late to something. You could cancel something. Right. You don't have to work out if you don't want to. Like, it's a totally different life. Yeah. And then, and it's just like, I was like, wow. These are things, okay, now I just have to decide, like, what I'm, what I'm doing and what I want to, you know, spend, spend time doing and I can explore and I can figure all that out. Um, but I was like, these people really, like, I almost wanted, I was like, I sort of need my space, but I also just need people to, like, I want to give people a chance to forget about me because I'm, I will be, like, old news rather quickly. And then I'll go back and, like, just be a completely different person than I was. And not different person, but just, like, occupy a different space. You know, and so that was sort of good to like reform at least the identity that other people would see. Because like I knew who I was, but other people just knew me as a volleyball player. And I hope you hear this a lot, but I just want to say it's super inspiring and admirable the way you've been able to redirect your life and find this meaning and purpose because, you know, a group like tens, a handful of people and women could train and, and make it in the USA gym and, and be really good. But I do not think that many people could be at the top and have to reroute and do it as gracefully and mm, so as sweet. great as you have. Seriously, like oh, it's it's so pretty fun. crazy and it's it's really rare. And I've just been super impressed hearing your story and how wisely and maturely you've handled everything and acknowledge the mental health, acknowledge the depression. I need to talk to someone about this. I still go to therapy. I still will mourn this my whole life, but you know what? There are things to be grateful for. There is other opportunity that's totally. super special. And a lot of people don't have the ability to see that. So I'm just super glad that you were able to share that with us today. Cause it, it's yeah. amazing. So what are you, what are you up to now? What's the, how we found the passion? Are we um, still searching? The way I'm saying it is I just know the next first step. And I've given up on trying to plan past step one. I love that. I'm, Did you learn that in therapy? Um, Me too. No, I think I literally, I don't, I don't know. To be honest, there was a, I've had like a pile of books next to my bed. Like it's just, you know, self-help, like the whole section has been in my bedroom for the last like three years. So I don't know what I've gotten from where at this point. But yeah, so I just have the next first step. I've Like I am, it is guaranteed that 
the next four years will not end up how I think they might right I now. love this. So the next I've first just, step. Yeah, the next first step. So the next first step is I start law school in two weeks, three, three weeks, <gasps> two and a half weeks. At UCLA? Yeah, so I'll oh be at gosh, UCLA. Oh my gosh, congratulations. Um, yeah, so right now, definitely one of my passions is advocacy. Um, and I've, I always would have thought I would go to law school. I definitely didn't think I would go like this soon. I just, that was not in my life timeline, but you know, my life timeline changed. So now that did too. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's definitely my next first step. Um, and we'll see what happens from there. What but, specific yeah. subject topic are you studying and hoping to? Um, I'm extremely interested in entertainment and sports law. So that's a, it's under one umbrella over at UCLA. They're good at that. So Amazing. <laughs> and keeps you, you know, you can advocate for something you were directly a part of and mm-hmm. what you want to see change. Yeah. I need that impartial person on the bench next yes. year. I'm putting that on you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, this is when I, my mom and I've been saying this, um, my, like, honestly, my mom has, my mom has seen the ungraceful side of this entire process. So like, <laughs> she's incredible. Cause she's just like absorbed so much, just like heat and mess. Like, just coming out of my mouth at her for the last three years. So huge like credit to her to like helping me through this. But um, she's really become, well, she's always been an advocate, let's be real. But like she's she's become as much of an advocate as I have because she's watched me go through this and she's all experienced it in a different way. Uh, but that is one of our passion projects is we're like, we've got to do something where there's just somebody standing up for these athletes. That's awesome. I mean, our parents, my mom tries to say she like feels for it more than we feel for yeah. it. Like she, my mom has yeah. raised athletes, so she knows like totally. that as well. And, you know, it's just cool to watch them care so much for us, help us through yeah. it and then be there. I can think of the many times my mom's found me crying in my like <laughs> away hotel room. Like I'm making you quit. And I'm like, no, I need to stay. <laughs> Yeah. So the soup sounds great. Like you had an amazing mom who's been supportive of you and helping yeah. you kind of navigate all of this stuff. Yeah. Well, I've been super grateful to have you on hashtag real pod. I yeah. thought this was great and I really appreciate you sharing your story and everything with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. Wow. You guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. To be honest, I had never hung out with Haley before. We'd never talked on a personal level, so I didn't know what to expect going into this interview, but I was just amazed at her composure, her bravery, um, and overall her strength to be where she is now considering that huge pivot, that huge turn her, her life took. My favorite part about the episode was when she said, I'm just focused on the first next step. I hope that you were inspired by Haley's story the same way I was, and maybe you're thinking about that first next step in your life. Thank you guys for listening to Hashtag RealPod. Make sure you're subscribed so that you can be the first one to listen every Tuesday.